This Quietcast podcast is brought to you by Ideas Digest. I'm Conrad. And I'm Matt. Each week, two optimistic Aussie blokes Very explore optimistic. new <laughs> challenging ideas outside of our echo chamber on our totally realistic quest to achieve world peace, maybe some personal enlightenment. Is that too much of an oversell? No, nah, just roll the montage. Okay. I'm right and you're wrong. What are you talking about? Straight men enjoy gay sex. What? The Bible is extremely pro-abortion. Why the hell should I trust you now? Don't do- find me by what I do in bed. You think that kick us out? I've done psychedelics 150 times in my life. You still choose to ejaculate to that. Oh my god. You can have a wife and a girlfriend. This guy just gets your face. Rubs that in. Break your bias. Each week, anywhere you get your podcast, tune in. It's going to be an amazing time. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) A bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult. A black mystic and a recovering evangelical. What could go wrong? This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast with Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and Jason Elam. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Aren't you guys impressed that I've twice in a row tonight during this recording been able to successfully say the name of our podcast without any flubs? I was literally going to mention that, that you have not tripped up, but I didn't want to jinx it because I'm a huge believer in jinx. So, oh, yeah, well, I'll probably never get it right again. But no. yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome in, everybody. We are so excited that you're listening. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. I'm excited about this conversation we're going to have with all of you. And I hope that you'll join uh, the conversation on the Messy Conversations group on Facebook. Lots of fun conversations happen there. Uh, We're going to ask a couple of questions in this episode that we'd love to hear your responses to. And so we'll post those on the Facebook group. And I hope that you'll chime in. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to our patrons on Patreon. We are so grateful for you. You make this show possible. I am Jason Elam, and I am joined by my friends Kyle and Lola. Lola, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, it's Auntie Lola. My hair color changes every 10 days. I have really loud dogs, and I love you. No matter who you are listening, I love you right where you are. And wherever you are, that's where you're supposed to be. And be nice to yourself today, okay? Lola, every time you introduce yourself, you remind me of Buddy the Elf. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's an insult or not. I've only watched that movie like once in my life. And all I remember from it is him saying, I love you, dad. Yeah, and that's it. I love you. I love you. I love you. When he doesn't know what else to say, that's what he says. <laughs> that's me. That's it. Yeah. Kyle, how about it, man? Hey, everybody. My name is Kyle. And I'm just, uh, some people call me a happy-go-lucky guy because it seems like I'm always happy and I'm always positive. And for the most part, that is true. But there are times where we just kind of, you know, have to kind of look at reality and kind of make a decision on what we're going to do about the reality that we see. And, and sometimes that means regrouping and trying to find another focus and, you know, maybe even take a little bit of time to ourselves. So if you're doing that right now, if you're taking some time for you, please don't feel bad about that because that's really one of the best things you can do for you. So take that time. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Did I just hear the Prince of Positivity say, wait, Kyle, do you, wait, do you have bad days? What? <laughs> I have bad days. Uh, sometimes those bad days go 
a little bit longer than they should. But I'm trying to. All hope to, is lost now. Thanks. Well, yeah. Thanks a lot. The whole I know. world Everything is falls apart. Well, this whole equation just kind of falls apart if we're, if we're letting know. him admit to this. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. But Dude, I'm, I'm learning how to make those faces. Every single video, every single Facebook <laughs> post, you are smiling from ear to ear. Are you telling me that you get discouraged sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you do when that happens? I mean, I just picture you as this, this, you know, this, uh, as I said earlier, the prince of positivity. I mean, you ought to be able to manifest your way out of that, right? Uh, well, you know, it's the uh, times. It's a little work. You got a little work to got to put in. I was telling someone tonight. They 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 asked me about how do you how do you deal with self hatred and and you know a lack of self appreciation. And that's something that I'm really put a lot of emphasis on in the last couple of years is, is learning how to love myself and coming out of the lifelong journey of self-hatred and, and underappreciating myself. And I say, listen, it's, it's very hard and it's a struggle and it's a day-by-day thing. It's a day-by-day process because number one, I don't think we're really taught or encouraged from children to self-love. You know, my very early emphasis on love was really push towards this outside entity, this God, this deity, and, and you know, this this emphasis on love God. And I needed to love God because I was just so unworthy and I was just so bad and I was just so so rotten. So of course you can't develop self-love in that environment. And, you know, as I as I live most of my life and looking at myself and how I look and how I feel, it just festered more self-hatred. And although I was able to mask it incredibly well, and although I was able to present a positive image, which I try to do on purpose, regardless of how I'm feeling, that inner work is hard as hell. And there's some days I do really well. And there's some days I feel like, you know, what's the point to all of this? So in those moments where I'm feeling like that, I, I try to cut that time down into just moments and focus on what do I need to do to get out of this? Sometimes I can do it pretty quickly. Sometimes it takes a lot more longer than it maybe should. Uh, we totally did not plan this part of the conversation, <laughs> but what do you find, and Lola, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. What do you find useful in pulling you out of that? Because I, I know that self-hatred very well. There is a part of me that is disgusted by myself. There's a part of me that looks in the mirror and thinks, you're gross. There's a Jason. part of me. No, it's the truth. Uh, I grew up with kids in the school calling me, literally calling me roly poly fat and ugly. That was my nickname uh, in middle school. So that voice still plays in my head. So I would love to hear what has worked for you, Kyle. What pulled, I mean, you know, for a long time, it, w- it was Jesus that kept me going. And these lately, the Lexapro has, has helped quite a bit. The, the love of my incredible wife and my family has been revolutionary for me. But what, what helps you, Kyle? You know, this, this, may, this may sound strange, but you know, people tell me things, right? People say, oh, you're so handsome, or oh, you look so nice. Or I, I, like today, I, I, was, I was going through Wendy's drive-thru, and the, the lady who took, you know, was taking the money in the first window you you get that you can tell when someone looks at you with interest in their eyes, and I caught the look, and she says, 
I'm, hey, I'm having a birthday. My birthday's coming up, and I'm looking for someone to jump out of my cake. Will you do that for me? <laughs> oh, my. This is a true testament to who you are. <laughs> so, you know. Strangely enough, that has never happened to me, Kyle. So she's laughing. Of course, I'm laughing, and, 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 and the coworker hears it, and the coworker says, I can't believe you said that. So we're all laughing about it. But now, what that should have done was make me feel, oh, wow, you know, what a nice thing to say. What a beautiful compliment in a way. But what I had to fight through was she didn't mean that. Why would she want me? Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible. You know, so it's what I've, what I've been doing to try to overcome the issue the, the self-hatred, the, the, you know, the, the, that I've dealt with most of my life is if you, if you, you know, look at my Facebook page, particularly, you'll see a lot of self-portrait memes. So, you know, I take a picture of myself and write a meme to it. I did that as a source of helping myself because I hate the way I look in pictures, hate pictures, hate it, hate it, hate it, always hated it. So about a year and a half ago, I said, okay, you know what? I, I got, I want to fight my way out of this. So I'm going to start using myself for my memes. So that was one thing I started doing. The next thing I started doing was, even though it's, it was a struggle for me to take that compliment as she gave it to me and to take compliments people give me, I, I really try to take them at their word. And that's tough for me. And the third thing I try to do is, when I look in the mirror, I try to find something. I try to see what others see. And I, had a, I have a friend of mine tell me all the time, Kyle, listen, that's a you problem because you just can't see what other people see. And I say, yeah, I can't. And I've, it's, it's been the hardest thing for me to do. It's, it's been the hardest thing for me to do to see what other people see because for so long, all I saw was this person that I didn't want to see. And that has been a incredibly hard battle to overcome, but I, I will say and I can't say that I am making progress because I am being intentional about the self-love aspect. This has become one of my biggest parts of my experience over the past year and a half is really learning how to self-love. Wow, that was awesome. Lola, how about it? What pulls you out of a bad moment? Yeah, first of all, Kyle, you're mentioning a lot of things too, not like super specific in terminology, but just a lot of things that honestly, my therapist has had me do like certain exercises to kind of ground myself or, or things like that. So good on you. Look at you. You're Thank well you. adjusted human. What's that like? Anyway, <laughs> so you. my whole like pulling myself out of, out of the dark, it, the darkness normally manifests in two different ways for me. That's trigger warning eating disorder stuff. So either manifests as I have a really bad body image day where my body dysmorphia just kicks into high gear. I literally cannot see myself, like physically cannot see myself the way a normal person would view my physical vessel. And it makes me begin to go back into those old rituals um, that are super unhealthy and that feed into my eating disorder. So to pull myself out of that, sometimes 
sometimes I'd choose a harder route just to challenge myself, um, which one of them would be standing uh, in the mirror naked and pointing out specific things about myself that are good. And then from there, starting from top to bottom and naming a good aspect of every piece of my body that I can see. If that doesn't work, sometimes I have to just logically state the facts to myself. Food is safe. Food is good. Your body needs food. It doesn't matter what you ate yesterday or what you ate an hour ago. You still deserve food. And chicken nuggets are not the end of the world. Chicken nuggets was one of my fear foods. I just recently now am able to eat and not think twice about. So the other way that I guess self-hatred manifests with me is I think I'm a bad person because of seeing or I don't actively think that, but sometimes my mind will convince me you're a bad person because you have hurt people. And in those moments, I have to choose to, you know, own that shit, you know, own it. Like, yes, you probably have hurt people. Yes, you have hurt people, but you're, you're still a good person. Like there's some cognitive dissonance happening there. Um, but I have to just kind of repeat to myself, uh, some people call them mantras, where it's just, you know, I'm a good person. You know, I try my hardest. Um, I'm going to try to act in a way that's most loving. Sometimes I'm going to mess up, you know, but I'm going to keep trying. And that's what counts. The trying is the thing that counts. And that's normally how I'm able to pull myself out of it if a grounding technique or something like that doesn't work. It looks different for everybody. And I hope maybe something that we mentioned, if you're listening and you also struggle with self-hatred, I hope that maybe this could help you or shed light onto a new a new way to look at yourself because you're also not a bad person and you look great. Whoever's listening. I know one thing that always makes me feel better, and that is Auntie Lola's WTF Bible Story! What the fuck? Awesome. Okay. Um, So Kyle actually brought up this Bible verse. So I don't really have necessarily a title for it yet, but um, I'll just state the the verse. Uh, This is from Ezekiel 5.17. It says, I will send famine and wild beasts against you and they will leave you childless. Plague and bloodshed will sweep through you and I will bring the sword against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. So this is God telling Jerusalem, like, you disobeyed me, you pissed me off. And so now I'm pretty much going to make an example of you and an example of your destruction, that this is what happens when you don't follow Sky Daddy. So this is actually not the only time God has been quoted as angry and vengeful. Can you believe it? (laughs) 51 times God unleashed his wrath on humans in the Old Testament alone. 51 times. That's more than the books anyway. So God seems to not be able to let people run their own lives without his lead and approval. And it he kind of is operating, at least in this story, as a narcissistic father or a leader. And a side note, I did some more digging on the phrase, the wild beasts, because that is brought up a couple of different times in scripture. It could possibly be referring to King Nebuchadnezzar and his posse. They were called evil beasts in a a certain portion of Jeremiah and Daniel. The more you know. 
Whew. All right, Kyle, you say <laughs> that we should always look past the surface of these Bible stories and find yeah. the God behind them. Right. What is the God you're hearing about in that story like? I think Lola titled it perfectly. It's narcissistic. It's, you know, there's, there's a meme going around I saw the other day, and it says, you know, of course, something along the lines of, you know, God tells us to love our enemies, but that same God has plans to eternally torment its enemies, right? So you you, you start to, to take another look at these stories. And, and let me just tell you, my friends listening, you may not understand or even, you may not even be able to see that you've been indoctrinated. So, and, and basically what that means is at some point, whether it was from a child or whatever point you decided to start going to church, you were just told certain things. And you were told these things over and over and over again. And these things you were told became a belief system, part of your belief system. And depending upon how deeply in your belief system those things you were told got into your belief system will determine how much and how deeply you want to defend these things. To the, the A1 Christian, their number one thing is God is a good God, and all the time God is good. Well, that's just a, a phrase you hear in church over and over and over again. So that gets down into your subconscious, that gets down into your unconscious thinking, and your catchphrase now becomes God is a good God. So when you hear stories like the scripture Lola read and the other 51 times Lola referenced that talks about this vengeful, narcissistic, angry, genocidal, bloodthirsty God, your indoctrinated viewpoint is going to automatically cause you to want to defend it. And you're going to say, no, well, that's God's judgment or no, that's God's righteousness or no, that's God's ways. We can understand God's ways. And to that, I'll say, well, what do you mean we can't understand them? Do we not know what cruelty is? Do we not know what, uh, you know, uh, vengeful judgment is? Do we not know what hate looks like? Do we not know what genocide is? So, Clearly, we should be able to understand them and call them for what they is, for what they are. And if we're willing to do that, then that's the, the first step towards taking another look at the stories. And when you're willing to do that, you're willing, you'll, you'll be able to see them for what they are. And then your whole viewpoint changes. And it begins to also help you come out of the fear that keeps you attached to these stories and to that rhetoric that is just indoctrinated beliefs. Sorry for the long. Yeah, Kyle, (laughs) no, that was great. And you mentioned taking another look at the stories. I had a conversation recently with a guy named Eric English. Eric is a columnist for Pathios, progressive Christian. He has written a book called Unenlightenment, where he's taking a second look at a lot of the stories and the faith of his upbringing. He holds a bachelor's degree in Bible from Cornerstone University and an MA in philosophy and theology. 
from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan with his wife and their three children. And here's my conversation with Eric English. Welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast, Eric English. Welcome, man. Hey, how's it going? Man, we're excited to have you um, on this episode. I read your book, really, really enjoyed it, learned a lot. I want to start off by talking about your spiritual journey. Um, I know some things that maybe our listeners don't know just because of the book trailer and the book itself, but were you raised in an atmosphere of faith? So, no, I wasn't. I uh, actually became a Christian when I was 16. Um, I had been living on my own for a while at that point and sort of had, had a, enough with life and uh, decided that before I was going to end it all, I would uh, check out a church. Wow. So that's sort of how I got uh, initiated into a church. I went to a small country Baptist church and met an old school evangelist and uh, who shared the gospel like through a track with me and the rest is history. So the gospel that you heard, that initial reception of the gospel, what did that look like? So yeah, it was basically, uh, if you've ever seen a uh, I don't even know if they still make these or not, these old school tracks where you have some person falling off a ledge because he's burning in hell. And you have, uh, you know, Jesus who uh, bridges the gap. They call it the Romans Road. And so, uh, yeah, so basically he Typical just... Typical Southern Baptist fair. <laughs> yep, exactly. So you were introduced to the Christian faith with the mindset of you are a sinner, you need saving, you need to pray this prayer to avoid going to hell when you die. Is that accurate? Yep, exactly. Yep, and okay. it's pre- pretty normal. Well, I don't know how normal, but a pretty, uh, ex- at least theologically, a pretty normal introduction into Christianity, I guess. And it, you mentioned kind of being ready to just throw it all away up until the point where you came to the church, gave that a shot. Did that work for you for a time? Well, so, you know, I uh, had sort of just been, even though I was in high school, I was just sort of going from house to house and, and, and just living that way instead of, you know, having parents or anybody who really gave a damn about, can I say that? I'm sorry. I just cursed. You'll have to bleep me later. Um, no, no, you're good. Say, we've heard much worse from our co-hosts, so you're good. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. So anyway, yeah. So, um, and I had a friend of mine who I knew attended church and... Um, I thought, well, I should, you know, give it the old college try and just, you know, I was just tired of life and I, I didn't have a, a structure or a, a home. I was, you know, fairly intelligent and stuff like that, but I couldn't make it, you know, work for me. And just, there just wasn't a, life didn't look like it was going to amount to much, I'll say. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's a really unusual circumstance, and you certainly don't have to talk about it any more than you're comfortable doing, but um, it's it's really rare for somebody to find themselves that young in that situation where they really didn't have anyone or anything. Um, I imagine that would feel really hopeless. And maybe finding a church community, I mean, did you find the sense of belonging there? Uh, Yeah, I absolutely did. In fact, I'll tell you that, you know, if your uh, listeners are familiar with those old school tracks and just the type of... uh, experience that going through one of those uh, are, they mesh really well with somebody who is not too fond of life and is, uh, you know, really the, ready to give things up. And so they provided, um, uh, I'm not going to call them a cult, but it's a little similar. Um, you know, they provided a community and they were uh, very into discipleship. So I was immediately 
uh, discipled for two straight years until I went off to college. And when you went off to college, did you take that sense of belonging with you? Did you feel lonely again when you moved away from that church community? So, um, uh, well, I was a little surprised, to be honest, because I, and I had been forewarned before I went off to college that I would be a little surprised at how um, Christians who have really been Christians their entire life will act, and, and for me not to be too shocked when I see it. And I wasn't really understanding what it was they were talking about. It was really sort of disappointing just to see the spiritual level that a lot of people, not everybody, of course, but where a lot of people were at. I, you know, only been in a, being a Christian for two years, I felt like a lot of the Bible classes and theology classes were a rehash for me and just, and for other people, it was like they'd never heard stuff like this before. So I, I originally, like my passion even to start out with was discipleship and, and trying to get people, you know, if you're going to be committed to a faith and be committed to it. So what impact, if any, did that have on you being in that kind of a culture? at college. Yeah, so it really I, because I was a little prepared it really didn't, you know, phase me too much. I what I really wasn't prepared for was uh church ministry because I wanted to be a pastor and had my first job after college and just uh I had only lasted 8 months and I was fired so uh, for political reasons. Oh, can can we talk about that for a minute? What Sure. What happened politically that led to your dismissal? So I was a, a youth pastor and um, there was a, a, a student uh, who wanted to go on this trip and I didn't, uh, they had not, you know, had turned in their stuff and for insurance purposes and stuff like that, there were, it was a long distance trip. So we really needed to have this stuff in there and her uh, parents were significant contributors in the church and I, I just told her that she couldn't go because she asked again like the, the night before we were going to leave. Her parents were willing to purchase a bus to accommodate this. And I just didn't oh think my and goodness. I just didn't wow. think it looked good for, you know, the ministry and the church and stuff like that. So I said, you know, there'll be plenty of other trips. Let's, you know, put a pin in this and we'll talk about it when we get back. And when I got back, I didn't have a job. Oh my goodness. Wow. So that was sort of my introduction into ministry and uh, the political side of, of what goes on behind the scenes in churches. And uh, I, I never stepped back into a church after that. You saw the ugly insides right away. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, and I quit the ministry right then and there. Was that the end of it for you? That was the end of it for me. Oh, so wow. I decided okay. to, uh, as I probably, your audience probably is not familiar with the uh, trailer, but at unenlightenmentthebook.com. We have a lot of resources and there's a, a trailer there about the book and stuff that I tell a little bit of my story of just trying to uh, figure out, was this stuff real? Because I guess the, the main thing for me was that there was such a distinct difference in what I was seeing people and how they acted in the world versus what I was had been taught uh, during that period of time. And there just was no congruency there. Yeah, it's really hard to make sense when you're, you know, thinking the Christian faith is all about this thing, and then all of a sudden they're kicking you out of the, the right. church exactly for uh, something that really had nothing to do with the gospel. Really, uh, it sounds like there was some entitlement happening there, and when you did not cater to that entitlement, they showed you how influential money can be. 
Yeah. So I, I didn't, um, uh, know where I was going to head or what, you know, what direction I was going to go. So I just started going to seminary as more of like a personal exploration component. And, and I attended evangelical seminaries as well. So I wasn't out of the evangelical camp per se as much as I was that, uh, there was types of evangelicals that I thought were, um, you know, not really acting their beliefs out in the way that I thought that they probably should be. And, and I mean, I wasn't either, but you know, there's, there's a, <laughs> yeah, but it's different when other people do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but, um, so, you know, I attended a couple of different seminaries, got some, a couple, uh, advanced degrees in philosophy and historical theology, just, just trying to figure things out myself. And it was, uh, in those, uh, experiences where I was introduced to Brian McLaren for the first time. And, he really just rocked my world that I, I didn't even think that Christians, like, I, to be honest, I didn't even think that really a lot of the stuff he was saying was that out of the ordinary. It sounded fairly, I would say today, orthodox, but, you know, just caring and loving on people and stuff like that was the main message. And and really, you know, years later, I find out that the reason people disliked him so much was for political reasons more than anything. But um but that became a, a huge impetus uh, for for my story in writing this book because as your uh, listeners will find out when they get the book, uh, he wrote a blurb on it for me. So I sort of came full circle from, you know, him sort of introducing me to Christianity through some of his writings for to him actually writing a blurb about the book for me years later. Wow. It's a, it's an awesome moment. We had Brian on the podcast uh, a couple of months ago and it was that full, that same kind of full circle experience for me. Brian was really influential. I was a Southern Baptist pastor in Alabama and was exposed to a message by Brian McLaren at a con, at a church conference. And it rocked my world and resonated with me really ever since. I mean, just the title of his message at that conference, it was, um, who's lost us or them. Mm, yeah. And I mean, th- those are the questions, right? Yeah. And, you know, in my Southern Baptist bubble, it was really easy to look down on all those mainstream Christians who don't really live their faith, you know, and, and stay very consumed with my own thing, my own ministry. Got to save the world, including a bunch of Christians and, oh, and all of those kind of things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but at the end of all that, it just came up really, really empty. And I think I was responding to something in my own heart that didn't feel like it made sense. Did you start asking serious questions? I mean, your experience in ministry would lead me to ask a bunch of questions. And I know you went to seminary and and got all the degrees and all that. Uh, I was fascinated in your trailer in your book or for your book about the little scraps of paper. Could you talk to us about that? Yeah, so like during the, the time, you know, you you put your dues in, you work sort of menial jobs. Uh, I worked a lot at uh, bookstores, Barnes & Noble. Uh, that's, that's not a plug, I promise. So, you know, you would have time in, in a lot of different jobs. Actually, you could probably pull something like this off. But just, I always would carry a, like a journal with me or if I didn't have a journal, I'd grab some scraps of, scraps of paper if I had this an idea. And I was really sort of just reworking or going through a lot of the different uh, ideas that I had been taught early on and sort of reevaluating them and trying to figure out 
are these biblical? What does that even mean? What does the word biblical even mean? You know, like all of these different things and amassed quite a collection of these like scrap pieces of papers and journals and different things like that. And I don't, I don't know why I did this, but I, I kept all of that stuff and years later ended up using that to write this book. Wow. Awesome. At what point did you start to think that maybe mainstream evangelicalism, or at least the the version of it that you kind of grew up in in ministry and seminary life didn't entirely make sense to you? When did you start asking questions that people got uncomfortable with? So the, my very first theology class and my very first seminary that I attended, we had to read one of uh, Brian McLaren's books. I don't remember off the top of my head which one it was. And... I had enjoyed it, but I didn't, I didn't know anything about this emerging church thing. You know, that, that sort of was, yeah, that would come later. But, you know, we had, had to read this for a class. And when the professor started going through and talking about the, the things that weren't so great about the book, I was really puzzled because it didn't make sense to me how, like, aren't, aren't evangelicals in particular, and I probably didn't use this language, but, and, and I would ask these questions in class too, like, isn't, aren't, we supposed to care for the poor and 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 do all of these things that Brian's talking about in this book. I don't. I guess I don't under. I never understood why there was all of this. Not just like, not just like. Oh, we just disagree as colleagues, but more like there's this anger and that you can see in people in in theologians and professors and stuff like that when they would talk about them. And it just, it never made sense to me, but that sort of sort of started me in reading more books either by Brian or uh, Tony Jones later and Doug Padgett and all these folks. And uh, so that's really when I first started asking those questions was in that very first class. Thank God the professor, you know, made that book a required reading. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Wow. So you're asking these questions in seminary. At, at, at what point did it really start to rock your own personal faith? Did, did you feel like your faith shifted? Or, I mean, was it like a real transformation for you to say, all right, this is what I'm going to believe being a Christian is really about? Uh, and how did the people around you receive that? So, I think it's important to to qualify my faith a little bit in the sense that uh, my faith has always really been a, about the search for truth and not just to find something to believe in, uh, to feel good inside or, or whatever the, whatever the reason people do. Um, but mine has always been, you know, if this isn't true, I don't want to believe it. And so that was also part of the reason I had these seminary experiences. And as I'm, um, you know, so the, as I had the experience I just shared, Though that was really sort of a wake up call, but only in the sense that I became suspicious. Like something really seems like there's going, there's things going on behind the scenes that I'm not, that I don't have all the information that I need. And so that really, really just kickstarted me into studying and, and changing majors and or emphasis, degree emphases and stuff like that. And, uh, I, I switched from historical theology. After I was there for two years, so I got a lot of good uh, foundation uh, theology and and really just, uh, I didn't see where a lot of these authors were diverging from what was traditionally orthodox because to me, evangelicalism seemed more unorthodox than what they were saying. 
And so yeah, I felt like my faith was more akin to what they were saying. And then it would only be later that I'd realize, well, this is a completely different revolution going on in Christianity. It's way beyond evangelicalism. Can we talk for a moment about some of the specifics of modern evangelicalism that didn't sit right with you? I know you mentioned feeding the poor. Were there others? Yeah, so I mean, this would evolve as my my learning and my own, I use the term deconstruction now, but I didn't know that's what was happening at the time. But as I was I was going through these things, you know, you you start with one, and it's sort of like a snowball effect, right? So you start with one and you're like, well, and I started with the Bible. God forbid, I started with the Bible. Good thing too, because everything snowballed after that. Well, if the Bible's up for grabs, then everything else is up for grabs. Let's start thinking through these things. So it really was, and it took years, but it really was like a snowball effect. So a, a lot of folks that I talk to, it's, it's kind of like peeling an onion, right? You, you get that one layer out of the yeah. way and there's a thousand other layers underneath it. So what did that look like for you? I mean, did you, was it like an inerrancy thing? Is that what you started off with the Bible? Yeah, well, it started with inerrancy and then um, from there, and, but I never, I, I never felt like I was, uh, married to that per se. I just sort of asserted it because it was the thing that you asserted. And so uh, I wasn't as married to that. So that wasn't as much of an issue. And come to find out later, you know, for a lot of people that that is the issue. I mean, really, everything hinges on that. And then um, just understanding the wanting to understand who Jesus really was, was the second the second sort of revolutionary part of that. And I remember asking a professor, um, we were taking a, a class on some liberal theologian. And I remember at the, at the end of the class, I kind of walked up to the professor and I was like, are, are liberals are Christians? You know, like, that's such a weird question for a seminary student to ask. Like, I think about it now and I'm like, how embarrassing. Like, that's sort of like a naive, uh, kind of a stupid question to ask. But it really sort of, I think, gave insight into where my brain was at that point. Like, why are you, if you're really sold on all these things, then why are you wanting us to study these other people? So, you know, in a lot of these other uh, contexts, the historicity of Jesus is an important thing. And uh, I don't, you know, as much as I studied about the historicity of Jesus, that's never like my faith has never changed as a result of that. Like if for the better it has, but like I'm not like scared because I'm afraid that I'm going to uncover something that, it, you know, it's going to shake my faith. It's never really been like that. And, you know, in this book on enlightenment, I really try to get people to understand how they think as opposed to um, just going through. And that's why I start with the first chapter is on enlightenment. Uh, instead of just going through and, and processing through different theological uh, beliefs, you know, really, let's talk about first how we think. And, and that's the goal of the book is really to teach people how to think in such a way that they can carry out this process ongoing. And it, and it should be a cycle throughout their life. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. Because uh, so much of the current uh, in this kind of deconstruction moment that we're in, in our, in our recent time period, uh, it seems like there's a lot of kind of, I don't know, it, it kind of became a catchy thing, you know, oh yeah, I deconstructed as right. if it was something that happened one time and I'm over that now and I figured this out or I'm not a Christian anymore or I quit going to church, but I kept Jesus or mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. Does deconstruction end 
oh gosh, it shouldn't know. And 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 I'm clear in my book about that too, because you know, one of the things, and that's one of the reasons why it's so important for people to learn how to think for themselves is because of that ongoing process. If I'm just giving the person information and saying, this is what you should believe because of X, Y, and Z, historical sources or orthodoxy or whatever the reason is, you know, if I'm just giving that information to them, then they're not, they're not learning how to learn. And so, the premise uh, or the presupposition, I guess, going into that is the idea that you're going to be doing this throughout your life. And so you need to be prepared. And that will help give you, I don't want to say the courage, but the, well, we'll say courage, I guess. So give you the courage to know things like how to actually share your faith or share your story or share your life actually more specifically. And so that's, you know, one of the goals of the book is even though I give a, at at the end of, or towards the end of middle to end of each chapter, my own sort of like my scraps of paper and my journal entries and stuff like that on how I rationalized a lot of these different things. You know, the, the point is, is there's a learning experience taking place in each chapter where people are learning basic ideas and things like logic and rationality and and different things like that, which will help them to maintain this process throughout. And I should also add that uh, I use uh, progressive Christianity, and I put that air quotes, I know you can't see it, but I did. And <laughs> I use that sort of as a, a mil, we'll say like a milieu or an environment for people to sort of feel safe so that they can we'll say, I guess, air quotes again, deconstruct their faith in an environment that's non-judgmental. And so uh, not. I wanted to bring that up because that's such a, there's so much of that in the book and it's related to what we're talking about here. Where And I want to be clear that I'm not an apologist for progressive Christianity as much as I have an appreciation for what it contributes to this process. I love the fact that your book isn't preachy in a sense of telling anybody what to believe. I love, like I said, I love the scraps of paper Mm -hmm. and I love the wisdom contained there. But uh, you really are just trying to teach people to seek out truth for themselves. And when seeking out truth is the goal rather than saying, you know, this creed is what I believe and then defending that. I mean, it's a totally different way of life, right? Because if I'm seeking out truth, then anything that I learn along the way that changes how I understand the truth is going to have an impact. And I don't have to be afraid of that. Yeah, exactly. Well, and even like, you know, you hear a lot of uh, lay people who are very afraid of, and and I guess in some sense they should be because you really are confronting other people with the gospel in that context. Um, and I guess you probably should be afraid of that. But one of the things that I've learned in my own walk, and I hope that this gets echoed in the book itself, is that my fear or my lack of fear has nothing to do with how much I know or don't know. Because that, and that's the problem with current, well, all of evangelicalism, even historically, I guess, is that it's so informational based. And if, and that's how they present the gospel. It's how it was presented to me. It's how I've presented it as an evangelical to other people. Uh, it's how I even know, knew as an evangelical how I could grow was just this compacting all this information in my head. And somehow that was supposed to equal spirituality and insight and wisdom. And, and it's so, it's so different. Like, uh, you know, one of the goals here is to show people that you don't have to be afraid to share Jesus with people because you don't have to sit down with them with a track or even with your Bible. Sit down over at their table with a meal and just have a normal conversation with them. 
Just be a human being with them. Just be their neighbor. And what will happen is eventually they will want to know why you have the hope you have. And, and that's what sharing the God, that's what Jesus did. I mean, this sounds so obvious to me now, but I don't know how other people can't see it so clearly. So about probably about half our audience, about half the folks listening today, have decided along the way, along the course of their own spiritual evolution, that Christianity is not something they could continue to believe in. Mm-hmm. How has your spiritual evolution changed, or has it changed, the way you relate to Jesus? I feel like, yes, I feel like it is, uh, yeah, I'm going to say yes and no, and I'll, let me explain. So yeah, I, I do feel like uh, it's changed in a practical sense, because I feel like if I'm going to talk to somebody about Jesus, I have a more accurate understanding of who he is or who he was as a person. Um, and, and, and what that actually looks like in the Bible as well, and how much of that is portrayed accurately and how much is not. But at the same time, I, I sort of try to keep a little of the folksy religion in me as well. And I hope that that, um, and that's the one thing that I've struggled with in progressive Christianity is just the amount of atheism that exists in progressive Christianity or agnosticism even. And I think a lot of that has to do with early on in deacon, when people were talking about things like deconstruction, they were, people weren't really going through this process. They would deconstruct their faith and then that's it. Well, if you tear down the entire building and tear down the foundation, but don't put anything back up, you're going to be an agnostic or an atheist. And I think, and that's not to say that they, that all these people fall into that category. Of course, that's not true. But I think that early on, at least, I, I was able to identify that that that's the case. And so part of me wa- wanted to, in approaching this book, was to not be um, uh, just tearing everything apart and tearing it all down and stuff as much as showing the logic and the rationale behind bringing it down and then really trying to emphasize bringing it back up into something that is uh, not only accurate and true, at least in the person's eyes who's reconstructing, but that it... A- actually reflects your um, reality in such a way that your faith then feels real. And so I'm still holding on to a lot of the, the faith stuff. And, and I think that you don't have to throw everything out. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people have, at least in their context, whatever that looks like, they haven't been able to reconcile certain things that I feel like I've been able to. And I think that's one of the things that makes this book unique is that it it doesn't sort of just tear everything down and then just let the person go. It's really sort of a complete picture of what it looks like to, to try to have a uh, genuine faith in God. The book is Unenlightenment, A Theological Foundation for Deconstructing and Reconstructing the Christian Faith. It's available now. Eric, would you let our listeners know how to contact you? What's the best way to get in touch with you if they want to follow up for more of your story or or about the book? Sure. They can go to unenlightenmentthebook.com and everything they need to know is there. They can purchase it from there. They can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, We Also, I will be having... um, uh, periodically, there will already be up some additional resources and stuff like that, but I will be updating that uh, website regularly with additional uh, information for people, resources that are free for people to use. Awesome. We're going to put links to the book and his website so you can reach out to Eric. 
uh, on your own. Isn't it cool that you were working at Barnes and Noble at one point <laughs> and now your book's going to be for sale there? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's very, very cool. And I know the inside, all the inside stuff, so I can try to get in there. <laughs> very cool. Maybe you could do a signing there. You could be like the big guest. Yeah. Very cool. Um, what's next for you? Well, I, um, I have, there's a lot of, uh, Fire's being stoked right now, but I do plan on trying to eventually, I've, I've got it outlined, but write, writing a follow-up to Unenlightenment um, that sort of goes beyond the, the world of deconstruction and really sort of trying to put people back in the church and say, what does that look like now that you have a new faith? Like, how can you share, you know, how can you have community and stuff like that? So... Folks, I encourage you to check out this book, Unenlightenment, A Theological Foundation for Deconstructing and Reconstructing the Christian Faith, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy books. Eric, thanks so much, man. Thanks, Jason. And we're back. All right, so Lola, you had a great idea for a conversation for this episode on angels, demons, the devil. Are they real? So where did that come from? What made you think of that? I have been watching a lot of paranormal documentary things. I just, I'm constantly trying to find an authentic piece of content that captures something spiritual that's paranormal, but it's not staged and they don't freak out over someone hitting the mic by accident and like, what was that? No, it was nothing. It was Jerry. Like, shut up. It was Jerry. It's always so, Jerry. Always. I'm constantly searching for actual content that's like not staged and authentic to try to capture something. But I think when you die, like the first thing they tell you is like, listen, you see a camera come out, you freeze. You don't do shit. Nothing. So that's what I'm more and more convinced of. But it's, it, I digress. Ever since I've I've been watching this stuff the last couple of weeks, I just... Uh, people say, oh, I feel something so dark here. Oh, I, f- I feel something. Oh, it's, it feels like a child or something like that. And it just kind of begs the question, um, is it demonic? Is it an angel? Are those things real? Does it really matter? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Jason's favorite phrase. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's my answer on this question. I have no idea. <laughs> He's tapping out. So, yeah, I'm just absolutely tapping out on this one. Um, <laughs> I believed in the whole angels versus demons and Jesus versus the devil and, you know, the scriptures about ghosts showing up and speak, you know, you did a Bible story not too long ago about Mm -hmm. Samuel coming back and talking and uh, from the dead and all of that. I believed all of that for so long. Now, do I think that there are probably disembodied spirits walking around the earth? Probably, but I don't know. Are they good or are they bad? I don't know. I've never seen an angel. I, if you I, saw a biblical angel, you would for sure know. This thing yeah, that's true. Because they have like 19 scary. eyes and 14 arms. and yeah. But I know that when I was a youth pastor, there was a young lady who was very perplexed. She had watched too many scary movies and oh. was convinced <laughs> that she had a demon. And me and my buddy thought, you know, the cocky, the cocky young youth ministers 
took her to an office where we were going to cast the demon out of her. And I'm telling you, we absolutely traumatized that young lady. Shut up. You tried to exercise a demon? Yeah, absolutely. Justin, and you're just now telling us? <laughs> he is hey, not alone. I've, I've seen a lot of exorcism yeah. stuff happening. Yeah, he's not I'm alone. just not sure how much of it's real. Right. You know? So, um, Kyle... As is so often the case, we're looking to you to be the voice of reason. I definitely want to hear what Kyle has to say. Also, first of all, have Kyle, have you had to exercise anyone? I've tried. Of a demon? I've tried. Oh, but am I the only one here unexperienced? Okay. Well, that, listen, it, like Jason said, you're in a Pentecostal camp. <laughs> you're in ministry. And if you're serious about ministry, at some point, that's going to become an experience you're going to have or you're going to at least try. Wow. This is my point of view. I think there's something out there in the spirit realm of things. There's outside of our seeing. However, I don't believe in, you know, demons and devils. Now, I have a long, long history of what I thought, like Jason said, was spiritual warfare and fighting devils and travailing in the spirit and that whole thing. And um, I grew up in a church where every week we were fighting a devil. You know, that, that's just how the church was. We, you know, every week there was the devil this and the devil that, and I rebuke you Satan and da-da-da-da-da. And so my mother, we would be asleep at night. And you want to talk about something traumatizing, we would hear our mothers yelling in her room, get out of here, you foul spirit. Get out of here, you devil. Get out of here. <laughs> And we're kids. So you can only imagine you hear that in the middle of the night. You're, 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 you're shook. I mean, you're completely shook. And I remember hearing that so many times that I said to myself, I don't know what's going on with my mama, but when I become an adult, I ain't going through any of that. I ain't doing none of that. <laughs> yeah. None of that, you know? And, you know, so I said all that to say this as long as I believed, that there was spiritual warfare and demons and devils. I was always fighting what I believed was spiritual warfare and demons and devils. And I kid you not, the moment I stopped believing in that stuff, demons and devils and spiritual warfare, everything that I felt and thought was coming against me instantly ended. Every bit of it. Every bit of it, from the feelings, from the thoughts, it all stopped. When I stopped believing the devil as a real entity, as a real being of some kind, everything that I thought was the devil stopped in my life. Everything. This is just like the it films or the it story. Yeah. You know, you give power to the thing. You give power to it, it, right. Yeah. And it takes over and it messes you up. Yeah. And, and the mind is a very creative power. It's incredibly mm-hmm. creative. I'll tell you a little story about that. When I was a little boy, maybe four or five, I remember this vividly. One day I did something wrong and my grandmother said to me, the devil's going to get you tonight. Now I heard the devil enough to be scared of this thing. So I remember going to sleep that night I was already scared, so I was finally able to fall asleep. I remember going to sleep, and what seemed to be so real, again, this is how powerful the mind is, I was awakened 
and I looked on the floor and I saw the floor open up and from the, the, the floor arose what I understood to be the devil. Oh, fuck no. I kid you not. I I kid you not. And I'm (laughs) yelling and I'm screaming. And this devil is laughing, saying, ha, ha, laugh all you want. They can't hear you. I'm coming to take you. And I'm yelling, mommy, daddy. And I'm terrified. And the devil's grabbing for me and trying to pull me back down this hole. I kid you not. I'll never forget that. I remember that to this day. That's how, that's how, how, how traumatized I was. But that's just, that's how powerful the mind is and how suggestive that was to me as a little boy. I literally, I didn't think it was a dream. I thought it was real. It felt real. So obviously it wasn't real, but you couldn't tell me then it wasn't. And so I know there's a lot of people, a lot of adults out here having experiences or, you know, the devil this and demon this and demon that. And I know to them it's real. And I'm not going to tell them it wasn't real. But as far as I, my experience goes, when I stopped believing in that stuff, all that stuff went away, every bit of it. So I'm, I'm inclined to believe that at least on the demon devil side, none of that stuff is real. I know how new age this sounds, but I really have started to believe recently that that which you focus on, you manifest. <laughs> and it's like we bring things yeah. into our world by just fearing them or having this constant sense of foreboding or this constant struggle or, you know, the devil's just about got me beat down this time, you know, that kind of a mindset. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, I'm, I think there's something to what Kyle is saying that the minute you stop focusing on those things, a lot of that quote unquote spiritual warfare dries up mm-hmm. the minute we don't give into that hype. No, yeah, I am 100% in agreement with what you said. You manifest that shit. You think it, you say it, you, you pray about it, whatever. Uh, you sing about it, you bring it into existence. I literally will not sing certain portions of some songs because the way that it describes love is like super toxic. And I won't say, I won't let it leave my mouth and I won't think about it. I'll just be like, oh, that part of the song doesn't exist because I literally believe I'm going to manifest that even though I don't want to. Like if I give any energy to it, it could possibly snowball, which maybe I'm just being paranoid because I am paranoid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we all are in some degree. but, But Kyle, do you ever worry? I mean, do you ever have that sneaking little religious voice in the back of your head say... The biggest lie the devil ever told you yeah. was that he doesn't exist. You ever hear that? I just so shay. <laughs> yeah. No. Is that a phrase? Like all pastors, like <laughs> <a bye-bye? laughs> All right. You know what? I, I not anymore. Not anymore, Jason. I, I don't have that fear anymore. Because what I believe, whatever we call God, whatever whatever that is, and I don't even think the name God does it any real justice. I know it's a name we, we, we we're very familiar with, but whatever that is, whatever it is that we're all fractals of, we came from, I, I just internally and instinctively feel it and know it to be pure, unconditional judgment-free love. And I believe that in that judgment-free part of it, that it that it it is so 
understanding of our human plight and our human situation and our human experience. And it knows that we're not going to understand a lot of stuff and we're not going to figure out a lot of stuff and we're going to make mistakes and we're not going to get things right and all those kind of things. And I believe that that love that it has and that love that we're part of is so judgment-free where it's not even judging things as right or wrong, good or bad, as we understand it to be. And just kind of looking at everything from an experience. And I, I see this thing that I I believe is is that God to be more of an observer, not a not a judge, just observing, just watching things play out, so to speak. So I don't I don't have any fear of what if it's real or what if I'm wrong or anything like that because even I believe even if I'm one thousand percent wrong, there's gonna be all of the quote grace that I would need to still be okay. Because I can look back at I'm ready. I have a defense already ready. I'm gonna look back at it and say, Well, look, that's on you, buddy. That's on you. You didn't you didn't give us this information. It wasn't perfectly clear for everybody to understand. So don't come looking at me because I thought one thing when it was up to you to let me know if I have any debate with God. I've already got the defense that. going. So, you know, before you talk about what you're gonna do to me, you need to look at your own self. <laughs> Take the log out of your eye, bitch. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted me to really be clear on this, I mean you should have made it abundantly clear, whereas there was no way possible I could have erred. So you didn't. So leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> Preach. Amen. Yeah, but I've got a feeling like you, Kyle, that, you know, whenever we get wherever we're going and whatever is there waiting for us, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to matter. I don't you know? think so I don't either. think any of that stuff's going to matter a bit. I think when we come face to face with love itself, that we're not even going to remember the things that we didn't get right. That it's, it's going to be so far from our mind yeah. that we're going to finally see ourselves as we've always been and see God or love or light or whatever the way it's always been. And the, <laughs> the only thing that I wonder is if I'm going to worry that I wasted so much time, you know, <laughs> trying to live up to something that I never had to live up to in the first place. Yeah. But Lola, this was your topic and I feel like we've dominated the conversation. So I would love to hear your thoughts. Are you like into like ghost hunting? Listen, I'm into it all. No. Um, so. I have a lot of friends that do partake in ghost hunting and they've had a lot of like personal weird experiences um, where spirits have like said their name and answered questions and things like that. Spirit boxes, I still, I, I, they say, oh, they just said a whole phrase. I don't know what the fuck it's, it sounded like static. I don't know what they're saying, but um, I personally don't do the ghost hunting. I don't fuck with Ouija boards. Uh, they're pretty. They're cool. I don't fuck with them. But I do practice witchery, you know, my own form of magic. And All right. Now, my mom just turned off the podcast. I'm so, so let's, sorry. No, let's, I'm let's, so sorry. Let's talk about what you mean by that. Yeah, you say, please. I yes. practice witchery. What is that? Witchery. It looks different for everybody. So I... I have a difficult time calling myself a witch necessarily because that just looks really different for some people. I just am not super comfortable with a specific title. Um, but I do practice witchery. So uh, specifically, 
I would be classified as a kitchen witch. There's a couple of different types of witches, but I would be a, a kitchen witch, meaning like I spice things with intention. Um, a lot of things that like I, it's like it goes back into the foraging thing, uh, also with me foraging things in my yard and just being very in touch with the earth and things that come from it. A great honor and respect towards, you know, food and, and the way it's prepared and, and intentions behind it. So it's not like super, I'm not conjuring spirits in a cauldron in my kitchen at 2 a.m. in Birmingham, Alabama. I just don't do that. Uh, I do make little like spell jars, which is like, I'll put like some salt, some like sh- shark teeth, some, some bay leaves. Did you, did you say shark teeth? Yeah, they're, they're a grounding type of material. So, you, you can Google like shark teeth meanings or whatever, but I just use them for, for grounding. So if I have a friend with anxiety, uh, I'll throw some shark teeth in their spell jar and it, it just helps to kind of soothe that. So <laughs> this all sounds so like... These are actual shark's teeth. That's not like yes. the name of an herb, right? No, 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 no it's not. Okay. It's definitely just... Some people use bones like human bones and other remains like animal remains are used like for bones to, are their enemies or what, what are, I don't know I don't touch bones necessarily I've touched chicken bones but I haven't used them in a spell but some people do use those I I don't know exactly for what I'm still learning cuz some people use it in a darker context and then some people use it in just like an earthy uh, connect to the inner being type of way, which is really cool. But I personally don't really dabble with that. The closest I'll get to bones is shark teeth at this point in my life. <laughs> quick, quick question. So, yeah. like, where do you get this stuff from? Is it like a witch store or like, like... <laughs> the witch store? Where all <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by the witch store, <laughs> where all witchery things come from? Shark teeth for a dollar. <laughs> Yes. Um, so you can, there are wholesalers on Etsy that sell like big chunks of like ethically sourced um, stones, such as like quartz, things like that. Those nice geodes that you see on people's centerpieces and coffee tables. Sometimes you just, I normally get stuff from outside. So my grand grand, she has a lot of, um, like herbs and spices and and like mushrooms and stuff around her house. So I get a lot of stuff from there. I have stuff in my yard. Um, my friends will bring me stuff sometimes too. Um, salt is available everywhere. You can get a lot of stuff at the grocery store or the Dollar Tree, to be honest. So however you want to practice your craft, uh, you just make it work with what you've got because I'm definitely a broke witch. So I just... <laughs> find a lot of things for myself. But um, yeah, that's there's not a witch store that I'm aware of. If if our listeners are aware of a witch store, please let me know because I'd like to partake in that. Thanks. Also, um, can we just say for the record, um, you're not like worshiping the devil or anything <laughs> you know in what? your kitchen witching, right? The devil, the devil, if that thing is real, couldn't touch my shit. It's so good. Like... <laughs> That's that's right. Like she, he, he, she has ascended above. 
I will set my, Listen, my throne I'm way above that. <laughs> All of my, you can't touch this shit. Like, it's too good. What I hear her saying is he's under her feet. Yeah, so. oh, there you go. <laughs> the, the devil has been trampled underfoot. My, the Lord has crushed my enemies. <laughs> yeah. On that note, friends, mm-hmm. if you're struggling, let us know. And... Lola will put some shark bones in I'll, a spell jar. I will jar make you a spell jar. I'll do it. I'm so Watch confused out. right now. <laughs> me too. This has been a fun conversation. Uh, Kyle and Lola, thanks for joining me. Friends, thanks for listening. Please, for the love of God, chime in on this conversation on the Messy Conversation group. I oh, know yes, you please. got stuff to say. Um, <laughs> if you think we all need to be burned at the stake, we'd love to hear that. If you have had a ghost encounter, we'd love to hear that as well. If you have, if you want to make your case that the devil exists, Messy Conversations is the place to do that. We'd love to hear from you there. And until the next episode, I hope that you're well. And I hope uh, that you enjoy this season uh, that we all, you know, tend to get warm, fuzzy feelings and uh, the season of giving and enjoy it with people that you love. And if you've lost your community, it's okay because you've got one right here. And uh, pull up a chair, friend. Yep, there's a seat at this (laughs) table for you. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Bye bye.